Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. But do these stories stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week we'll be listening to A Helping Hand, an episode from the series called The Clock, hosted by Father Time. Lawrence Klee created the series, which premiered November 3rd, 1946, and concluded May 23rd, 1948, after 80 episodes. In 1947, the series moved from New York to Hollywood and enlisted director William Spear of Suspense and the Adventures of Sam Spade fame. The move was also accompanied by a change in actors, including Elliot and Kathy Lewis, as well as Jeanette Nolan. However, this episode was from December of 1946, when the series was still based in New York, written by Clee and featuring Gene Kirby, Hart McGuire, Wendy Playfair, Charles Tingwell, Owen Weingott, and Ossie Wenben. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Sunrise and sunset. Promise and fulfillment. Birth and death. The whole drama of life is written in the sands of time. We present a new series of radio programs, The Clock. of chance, like the hands of time, move slowly. But time is more dependable. Chance is not only a gambler and a knave, it's also a playwright. And like the egotistical creature it is, it plays all the parts, including the hero and the villain. Tonight I'd like to tell you of one of its masterpieces, which chance co-authored with its very good friend, Coincidence. <laughs> a fine pair, chance and coincidence. And a lusty match for anyone. Well... The place, Somerville, a drowsy little town with a population of 2,704, including Mrs. Wilson's twins, which were born last week. Somerville's vital statistics are recorded in the town hall, and if you look up the figures on crime, you'll find that Somerville is a very law-abiding place. The last outbreak of violence occurred on June 4th, 1943, when two young boys swiped three or four potatoes from the bin in front of Mr. Gorsey's general food store. The punishment was swift and just, and was meted out by the culprit's parents. The principal character in our story is a man named Howard Williams, a recent arrival in Somerville. He has a wife and two children, a boy and a girl, and two occupations, accounting and minding his own business. The time? Well, the time is now. Good evening, Mr. Williams. Good evening, Mr. Hawley. I, I took two of your papers from the stand outside, the Star and the Gazette. Oh, that's eight cents. Uh, anything else? Not just now, thank you. Good. 
I understand you got yourself fixed up at the cottage on Spring Street. Yes, I was quite a break. Houses aren't easy to rent these days. Uh, I take it then that you'll be staying in Somerville for a while, hmm? I'm going to make it my home, Mr. Holly. Oh, now, that's fine. That's real fine. You'll find the folks hereabouts are plain, not very exciting, but they're nice people to know. I think we're going to like it here. I'm sure you will. Is, you, you like detective stories? Not particularly, but, but my wife does. Oh, fine. Well, now, look, I got a new issue in today. I thought you might like a copy. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice for reading by the fire and scaring the tar out of you in a long winter's night. I'll buy a copy for Hazel. She gets a big kick out of stuff like that. Oh, good. Here you are, Mr. Williams. That's uh, 23 cents and all. Uh-huh. Thank you. Hey, this first story sounds like a thriller. There's a crime that was almost perfect. <laughs> oh, Hazel should like that. She's always getting me into arguments about the perfect crime. She, sure. she reads so much of this stuff, she believes the perfect crime is impossible. Impossible? <laughs> well, don't you? Oh, it seems to me there's many an unsolved murder case in the police files. Of course, I, I don't know much about those things, but I imagine a man could kill another man and... Get away with it if he planned it carefully enough. Ah, yes, but there's always a slip-up, isn't there? Well, maybe there is. I, I couldn't say. No, my business is accounting. I prefer leaving the criminology to someone else. <laughs> it's a good idea. I want a pack of cigarettes, Kensington. Very good. Here you are, ma'am. Uh, do you know where I can get a room for the night? Uh, Somerville Hotel is just about three blocks up. No, I tried that. I phoned. They don't have anything. Uh, well, the only other place I know of is Mrs. Cop's rooming house. Where's that? It's just outside, about about two miles up. Is there a bus that goes in that direction? Well, yes, you can catch it right in front of the door. Oh, good. Thanks very much. Oh, don't mention it. Yeah, stranger in town, I guess. Mighty pretty, too, eh? Well, I, I think I'll be on my way, Mr. Holly. I'm afraid I'm late for dinner. Well, I'm certainly glad to hear you're going to make Somerville your home, Mr. Williams. We're one big happy family in this town, and we always welcome newcomers. Well, it's good to have friends, Mr. Holly. Lots of friends, and I hope to make them here. I, I'm a simple man with simple tastes, and I've always wanted to raise my family in a community like this. Drop in again soon, Mr. Williams. I will, and, and thanks. Good night. Well, the weather's awful, isn't it? Uh, no, it looks like we're in for a storm. It's beginning to hail. How often do those buses run past? I'm not sure. Every 15 minutes, I imagine. Maybe I can get a cab. I'm going in your direction. You are? And I have a car over there. Can I give you a lift? Well, I'd hate to put you to any trouble. No trouble at all. Um, maybe you'd better not. Why? Oh, well... Oh, well, I guess it's all right. Which car did you say was yours? Uh, the gray sedan. Oh, let's go. Uh, do you mind if I stop at this gas station for a minute? My tank's a little low. No, it's all right with me. I'll fill her up, mister? Yes, please. And uh, check the oil. Uh, do you have a phone inside? Oh, yes, ma'am. I'll be right back. No hurry. Eh, rat night, ain't it, mister? Blowing up. Mm. Better watch the road out of town. This hail ain't gonna do it much good. Mm. Well, I'm not going very far. Say, your left front tire's kind of smooth. Uh, you better get a change. I intend to buy a whole new set next week. Oh, can I take your order for it? I suppose you can. Uh, my name is Williams. I'll I'll run by here on Wednesday or Thursday and let's put them on. Okay. Say, so you're new in town, ain't you, mister? Uh, we've just been here a little over a week. Well, welcome to Somerville. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. My name's Pete. Uh, I, I run this gas station. Anytime you need any advice about your bus, just drop in. <laughs> no charge for advice to neighbors. That's very kind of you. Yep. We're small town, maybe, but we get along nicely. 
City's a good place to visit, but it's no place to live. Ah, you never get to know folks the way you do here in Somerville. And they seem like worthwhile people to know. <laughs> well, I'll check your battery and your water. You ready? Just about. Look, I changed my mind. I'm not going to that rooming house just yet. Do you know where the turnpike is? It's a mile from here. But it's only a crossroads. Are you driving past? Yes. Then I'll get off there. But there's nothing up the turnpike. Well, Are I... you giving me a lift or aren't you? Why, of course. Then let's get going, and you can drop me off where I asked you to, at the turnpike. You certainly are a careful driver, mister. It's hard to see the road in this weather. How far are we from the turnpike now? Half a mile, I guess. I'll let... Well, what's the matter? I'm almost afraid to look. Just a second. I thought so. What is it? Blowout. Oh, for heaven's sake. I'm sorry. I don't like it any more than you do it. Won't do my clothes any good to get down in this mud on my hands and knees, but it looks as if I'm elected. Well, I'm leaving. Well, there's nothing I can do to help, and I'm in a hurry. The turnpike's up ahead, isn't it? Well, just keep walking. You can't miss it. If you wait a few minutes, though, I'll change this tire. No, I, I can't wait. Thanks for listening. We'll be seeing you. Be careful. The road's very slippery. Well, I better get started. Looks like I'll be home a good deal later than I thought. What's the trouble? The road is blocked. There's been a crack up. You'll have to detour. Uh, which way do I go? I live on Spring Street. Well, you better turn back and make a left turn on Maple. Oh, apparently I'll never get home. Sorry, mister. <laughs> nice night for ducks anyway. Yeah, huh? ducks and murder. Uh, Maple, did you say? That's right, mister. And uh, take it easy. Williams, you ought to be spanked. Now, don't be angry with me, Hazel. I couldn't help it. We'll have to send those clothes to the cleaners immediately. I only hope they can get all the mud off. Well, it's nice to be home again in front of the fire. Uh, is that robe warm enough for you, dear? Now, stop worrying, dear. I don't catch colds as easily as that. Howard, I met one of our neighbors this afternoon. Mrs. Harvey. Oh, she was awfully nice. She kept asking me if there was anything she could do to help make us comfortable. Everyone here seems to be that way, Hazel. It's going to be nice living in Somerville. After all we've been through, it'll be like making a brand new life for ourselves. Uh, you promised me you wouldn't think about what happened. It was like a bad dream. But I'll forget about it. In time. I, I did all I could for Mr. Cagle. Sorry that it up the way it did, then that's all. If only he hadn't dragged you into it. Your reputation. Hazel. Let's not discuss it, huh? Are you happy, Howard? Right now, I'm very happy. There's a great deal more to living than making money, Hazel. When you have peace and contentment, when, when you have good friends and neighbors... Oh, I'll take it, dear. Hello? Mr. Williams there, please. Who's calling? My name is Mallory. Lieutenant Mallory, State Police. Police? Just a moment. Police? Yes. Hello? Mr. Williams? Yes? Sorry to trouble you, Mr. Williams, but I was wondering if you might give me some information. About what? 
You know a woman named Laura Pearson? Why, no. Are you sure? Uh, quite sure. We didn't think you'd know her, but uh, Mr. Hawley mentioned something about your being in his stationery store when she came in for cigarettes. A tall girl, good-looking, bleached blonde hair. Oh, oh, oh yes, I, I remember now. Good. I wonder if you'd mind dropping into headquarters for a few minutes. Now? Well, if it's not too much trouble, we won't keep you long, but you may be able to help us out. Well, uh, if it's important... Yeah, it's very important. You see, we found Laura Pearson about an hour ago. She'd been strangled at death. Yes, the town of Somerville is very small, and you'd never find it on the map. But things do happen in Somerville. On this particular evening, for instance, at exactly 8.45, Howard Williams stepped into Lieutenant Mallory's office at police headquarters and was formally introduced to fear. Sit down, Mr. Williams, sit down. Do you remember Pete, the owner of the gas station? Oh, hello, Pete. Hello. Pete told me you'd met a couple of hours ago. He's the guy, Lieutenant. She was riding with him when he stopped for gas. According to Pete, Mr. Williams, Miss Pearson was seen in your car just before her body was found. I, I could have told you that myself if you'd asked. Naturally, naturally. Uh, how did you come to pick her up, Mr. Williams? I, I didn't pick her up. No? No. I gave her a ride. Oh, but... I'm sorry. Uh, I'm afraid I put it in the wrong terms. Exactly what occurred between you and Miss Pearson this evening, Mr. Williams? Well, uh, I, I met her outside the stationery store mm -hmm. and offered her a lift to Mrs. Carp's. She made a phone call at the gas station. Is that right, Pete? I guess so. Well, of course it's right. Why should I lie to you? Oh, I beg your pardon. I, I didn't mean to infer that you'd lie. Uh, please go on with your story. Uh, well, that's about all there was to it. Instead of going to Mrs. Carp, she asked me to drop her off at the turnpike. Oh, why? She didn't say why. Mr. Williams, the turnpike is uh, over a mile from Mrs. Carp's. That's an odd place for a young girl to go in weather like this. Well, it wasn't any of my business why she was going there. And, and I didn't ask her. I, I only... Just a minute, please. Flanagan, send Mr. Hawley in. Well, I'm afraid I can't help you out very much in connection with Miss Pearson. I never saw her before tonight, and I... Uh, oh, come in, uh, Mr. Hawley. Howdy. Good evening, Mr. Hawley. I said good evening. Yes, I heard you. Mr. Hawley, did Mr. Williams and the Pearson woman recognize each other when they met in your store? Well, uh, I can't recollect that they did. All I know is that it... Uh, that, that, that's very funny. What is? Weren't you wearing a brown suit about three hours ago, Mr. Williams? Why, yes. Why did you change your clothes? Well, because my other suit. Wait a minute. What is this, Lieutenant Mallory? I'm beginning to feel as if you're questioning me like, like a suspect. Oh, no, not at all. We merely want whatever information you can supply. But I won't question you anymore right now, Mr. Williams. Perhaps I'll get in touch with you again tomorrow. Thanks a lot for coming in. That's all right. Oh, just a second. Uh, Mr. Hawley tells me your wife reads detective stories. What about it? He said that you and she were discussing the perfect crime this evening. Perfect crime? <laughs> I know how it is, Mr. Williams. I sometimes read detective stories myself. Howard. I don't know. You questioned me. About this girl. 
And that was all. They certainly don't think that you had anything to do with it. Of course not. I I saw before the murder, so naturally they want me to give any information I can. I never even met the girl before. It's ridiculous. They haven't got anything on me. They can't prove anything. Hazel. Yes, dear? You know I had nothing to do with this, don't you? You don't have to defend yourself to me, Howard. Defend myself? Yes, that's what I'm doing now, isn't it? Defending myself. Just doesn't make sense. I have nothing to defend myself against, Hazel. Have I? Sorry to disturb you again, Mr. Williams. What is it now, Lieutenant? There's a man named Cy Parker who lives about a mile north of the turnpike. I'm afraid I don't know who he is. He may know you, however. He does? I seem to give me a pretty good description of you. He said he warned you away from the roadblock uh, early this evening. Oh, he must be the man who told me to detour. That's right. He also said you were alone. What about him? That you looked like you'd been through some kind of a crack-up yourself. I look like her. He said he noticed mud on your face and hands, and you seemed to be rather annoyed at being held up. Well, naturally, the weather was foul, and as far as the mud was concerned... Are those your clothes on that chair there? Yeah. Brown suit. Were you wearing it tonight? Yes. Muddy, isn't it? Well, I had to fix it a flat tire. Ah. Mr. Williams, you'll have to return to headquarters with me. What for? Well, there are two or three loose ends that have to be cleared up. Loose ends? What do you mean? When we found Laura Pearson's body, uh, her clothes were also covered with mud. Have another beer, Si? Yeah, don't mind if I do. I never would have figured him for it. Uh, Didn't look like that kind of guy to me. You mean you really think he killed that gal? Well, no, I'm not the type who'd pin a man against the wall without proof, and I believe in fair trial by jury. According to law, a man's innocent until he's proven guilty, right? Right. But between you and me, Si, who else could have done it? And I saw the way he looked at her when she came into my store, I tell you. I don't care if he never seen her before. I know what goes on in a man's mind when he sees a girl like that. He's got a wife and two kids besides. Say, you think maybe he's crazy, Holly? Crazy? Look, a lunatic don't plan a killing the way he planned this one. Look at how slick he did it. Oh, no. No, He ain't no crazier than I am, a murdering rat. Well, Judge... He was sitting with this woman in the car, and it seemed to me they knew each other a lot longer than he said he did. Uh, anyway, uh, he told me to fill up his tank, and I figured uh, he was going for a ride, uh, a long ride, with her. He was as nervous as a cat, Judge, and dirty in a mongrel, too. He kind of stared at me when I mentioned something about the weather and said it was a nice night for murder. He talked like he knew a lot about crime, Judge. <laughs> now, we, we had this argument about the story, see, and he said to me, uh, uh, wait till I get the words right. He said, uh, I imagine a man could kill another man and get away with it, if he planned it carefully enough. When the body was examined, the coroner concluded that she'd only been dead for half an hour. 
Here, fill this gas tank at 710. Side Parker steered him away from that roadblock at 740. It's only a 10-minute drive from the gas station to the roadblock at the most, but apparently it took Williams almost 40 minutes. We uh, also discovered that the defendant had been involved in an embezzlement case in Chicago. He was acquitted. He left the city soon after. And it is the judgment of this court, Howard Williams, that you be sentenced to hang by the neck until you are dead. Well, I haven't been very kind to poor Howard Williams so far, have I? But let's see what I have in store for him as his wife visits him in the cell. Howard. Hello, Hazel. Howard, they... They just told me... There'd be no reprieve. I know. Told me an hour ago. Howard, what are we going to do? What can we do? They can't kill an innocent man. I don't believe it. They couldn't. You're the only one who believes I'm innocent, Hazel. Oh, why did we come here? Why did we ever come to this horrible place? <laughs> don't. All the kids. They, they asked you. <laughs> Hazel, I want you to leave now. Please? It'll make it easier for both of us. Will this be the last time I'll be able to see you? Yes. Howard. Oh, don't, don't say any more. Tell them outside that I want to see the prison chaplain. I refused to talk to him earlier. But I've changed my mind. Goodbye, Hazel. No. No, I won't say goodbye. You still have time. There's still a chance. There's still a chance. Right there isn't, Mr. Williams. Hello, Lieutenant. Hello, Williams. You asked to see me? Yes. Open the cell door, Haggerty. You can leave us, Haggerty. Hazel, will you leave us, too? Well, I'll wait outside. Very tough on her. Yeah. Even tougher than it is on me. I'm sorry, William. Mallory... I have a favor to ask you. Yeah? What is it? One day, Mallory, you'll find that I was innocent. Will I? You're a good detective. One of the best in the state. Something will turn up. Something that will make you think. And reopen this case. Perhaps. All I ask is that when you do hit on new evidence, you'll prove me innocent. It won't do me any good, I know. But, but at least my name will be cleared. And, and my family will be happier. I see. I know it's a lot to ask, but... I swear to you that I... I didn't murder that woman. I'm going to die in a couple of hours, and I wouldn't lie at a time like this. You've got to believe me, Mallory. I'm not guilty. I believe you, Williams. You know? I not only believe you, but I'm sure you're telling the truth. You're sure? Did you, did you say? Yeah. But... How can, how can you be sure? I, I mean... It's very simple. Simple? Uh-huh. I know you're innocent because... I also know who killed Laura Pearson. Well, then why didn't you tell him? Why in the name of heaven? Don't you tell him that you, you know? I can't, William. You see, I killed her myself. What? I was the one who called. She, she called that night from the gas station. I was the one she met, Williams, at the turnpike. No. She deserved to die. She was a blackmailer, a cheat. She wouldn't take no for an answer when I told her we were through. 
I have a family of my own to think about. You tell me that now? You wouldn't expect me to mention it in the courtroom, would you? Yeah, I killed Laura Pearson. There are only two people who know about it now, Williams. And after tonight, there'll only be one. You're wrong, Mallory. Wrong? There's someone else you didn't count on me. He's just outside the cell door. What? Did you hear what he said, Chaplain? Did you hear? Yes, I heard. Chaplain, as a man of God, you've got to keep a confidence. You can't tell them. You won't. No, Lieutenant. I won't. But you will, my son. Yeah, you're right, Chaplain. I guess I will. And that is the story of Howard Williams as recorded by the clock. Chance and coincidence. Collaborators extraordinary. Their scenarios are always good and I ought to know. Because time is their editor. I'd be very honored if you'd join me again in exactly 10,050 minutes time. Or, if you prefer it, in exactly 167.5 hours time. When I'll be here to tell you another of my stories. Until then, I wish you all happy time. The clock will be heard next week in exactly 10,050 minutes' time from this same station. Written by Lawrence Clee with Hart McGuire as narrator, you heard Charles Tingwell as Howard Williams and Ken Wayne as Mallory. Others in the cast were Wendy Playfair, Joe McCormick, Don Crosby, and June Salter. The clock, directed by John Saul, is a Grace Gibson radio production. That was A Helping Hand from the series... The Clock, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. All right. Well, that was a very um, helpful episode. Oh, my God. It's a terrible way to start this. Um, (laughs) Tim, tell us about The Clock, which I had never heard of until you brought it to our attention. Well, I wanted to start with a pointless apology for anyone who was listening to our last week's episode because I provided information about what show we're going to do next week. And I got the title wrong. I just said, A Helping by the Clock, which makes it sound like this is a story about a pile of potatoes, which it's not. (laughs) That out of the way. Is there an old radio broadcast about a pile of potatoes? Because we should do it. (laughs) It's it's probably an Arch Obler episode, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Comes alive and attacks the city. The Clock. I'm kind of surprised we haven't gotten to it yet already, just because it was sort of a big deal, particularly after the move to Hollywood when... Um, William Spear Thank you, over. that's the man took yeah. over, yeah. He was a well-reputed master of suspense. How many episodes of this were done? The 80. Wow. Did you know about it, Joshua? I'd heard of it. I've never heard an episode I'd never at all. heard of it. It was not highly reprinted, so most of my knowledge of old radio comes from whatever was put onto vinyl or onto cassettes or right. I could find in the library when I was young. Now, everything's at your fingertip, and it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> yes. The quality of the preservation of it, it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Uh, as you get past 1945 is when that about starts before the hissing and popping goes away completely in what episodes we have left. So I really 
enjoy that. And then sometimes I think, oh, no, when it's clean like that, did Tim pick something else from 1982? <laughs> Some guys in Australia who have disappeared from the face of the planet and there's no record of their show anymore. I'll do it. <laughs> One thing I was immediately struck by was the narrator and the tone. It reminded me so much of a chipper Rod Serling kind of quality to the way he talked in his dialogue. And I read other places that the narrator was supposed to be Father Time, but they never say that explicitly in the opening. And he sure doesn't sound yeah. like your Fa- idea yeah. of what Father Time would be. He's like, like a personification of time. But Wait, what does Father Time sound like in your head? Like an old man, like Gandalf from okay. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Which one was Gandalf? <laughs> one, the little he, guy with the big feet. Yeah, he's one. He's <laughs> one of many guys with a white beard. Yes. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask that same question because you said in the intro, Father Time. I was like, wait, what? I didn't. Oh, yeah. There's no reference to him being Father Time. The character, the narrator, does present himself as a personification of time, but Father Time seemed like a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, I'm I'm nitpicking. I thought it was really neat. I loved the yeah. ticking clocks behind it. I loved the sort of bemused quality he had, but he wasn't like the other narrators of the time. He wasn't trying to be ominous or right. scary. He was just like, well, somebody yeah. screwed. <laughs> it was a little whimsical. Time's going to get you. <laughs> and, and I thought quite well written. So why did you pick this one? Uh, I was flipping through, as it were, uh, a few different episodes of The Clock, and that was kind of before I knew there was this break where the cast switched. And so I was listening to more of the later ones, and this one sort of stood out to me, which... Right. It stood out to you because of the performances? Yes, because of the performances, which... I, not that I would necessarily say it was better than the later ones, but just because I had heard a few of the later ones, it seemed very strikingly different. The tone of the actual narrative is weird in a way that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. And I have to phrase it like that because I want to acknowledge it's weird, but I like it. In what way? I want to see if we are on the same wavelength here. Um, in building a suspenseful story based on how well things are going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, establishing how perfect this town is to make you go, what is wrong with that town? There's this general sense of unease that it's too good to be true. There are little weird moments that make you suspect everyone and everything. It just creates an atmosphere where you know something is going to go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And it stretches that tension out so long that you eventually like... Is there a plot, or is this just weird? <laughs> and there is, which I was happy to discover. There's a thing that wraps up, and it all makes sense. I would say that it is both its strength and its weakness. It goes so long with before it points you in the direction of what the real plot's going to be that I had enough time to build up so many different <laughs> ideas in my head yeah. that ultimately I was kind of disappointed because it's pretty run-of-the-mill by the time it kicks in. And there's strangely no suspense involved in the once actual you know, yeah. plot once it's revealed. All the suspense is yeah. in this vagary at the beginning, which I loved. Because there's just all these moments that, you know, he picks up a strange woman. They discuss murder in a dime magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stop at a gas station. And, a little bit uh, of hint of, like, this is his second chance and he's had some bad past. And, and then very few of them really connect up. And uh, there's no real foreshadowing of the cop. No. Who just yeah. shows up. He's not part of any of this suspicious right. behavior. He shows up out of nowhere later. And I guess part of me goes, do I like that? Do I not? I can't decide. But in the moment, I was disappointed by it. Right. First of all, this preys on a huge fear of mine. And that is the idea of... Helping women. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I live with this fear of when things are going really right and well, even in the moment, oh, I hope the other shoe doesn't drop while we're having fun right now. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. well, this place I moved to seems really nice. And I've had it happen in the past where I've moved into a place, an apartment or something like, this is perfect. I looked at all these different places. It's great. And it goes well for a while. And like two months later, you know, oh, there's actual trolls that live next door. <laughs> or, and then it all falls apart. And then you start to think, oh, I don't want to ever embrace anything because so many times it's turned out not to be as great as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So that makes me enjoy this story a lot in the sense of this made me tense. Because <laughs> them, as you said, them walking around during this whole first 15 minutes of, isn't this place great? And you know it's not great. I will say this, I didn't see the murder coming. I thought it was going to be a town of people who were really, really nice because there was some kind of scary underlying something was wrong with the town. Yeah, that was definitely one of the theories that popped into my head, too. Right. I thought maybe it was a red herring, and it did turn out to be a red herring all mm-hmm. the times that Mr. Williams mentioned murder. I don't know why he would say, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's the kind of weather for a duck or murder. Yes. Like, right. just don't add or murder to everything you say. That'll always come and work against <laughs> to you. imply the knowledge of this is terrible weather for murder. <laughs> We've got to wait till next week. So, yeah, that's where I thought it was going. I thought it was, I'm trying to think of an example of, that's been done before where this small town turns out to be uh, made up of entirely crazy people and they seem yeah. okay. Although the it is interesting because they turn on him so hard and so fast once they think he's maybe a criminal. Right. Yeah. I mean, they it, testify against him. They won't look him in the eye. I mean, I suppose if you actually thought someone just ruthlessly murdered a woman, you wouldn't be kind to them, but it doesn't take much for them to just spread the word to convict him just in the court of public opinion immediately. And I think that was intentional, that this lovely town they were so happy to be a part of immediately turn on him. The other thing, though, Joshua, is is the circumstantial evidence is pretty good. It's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they it, did turn on him, but yeah, who else could have done it? And some of it they didn't answer, because there's a scene in the court where there was a 10-minute drive that took him 40 minutes. Wasn't him. that because he had to change the tire? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Never mind. See, I was like those small-minded townspeople where I'm like, guilty! Burn him! (laughs) Hang him! (laughs) Conversely, though, I enjoyed the aspect, enjoyed being sort of delighted by, necessarily admiring, uh, of the town turned on so fast. But the police were a murder suspect. Let's give him a call. See if he wants to come in. (laughs) Yeah, That's that's how they operated. (laughs) Well, that was the other thing. On the telephone call, he said, you know, we want to talk to you about something. And he's like, what is it about? And then he does something very unpolicemanlike. Oh, well, that woman, she's been strangled. You would never give that information out over the phone to someone in the middle of an investigation. However, retroactively, we know that he's fishing around to see if he can hang this on somebody, this crime, because he's the right. guy who did it. So right. any of his odd behavior mm. comes into focus until the very end in which just merely seeing a chaplain makes him give up and confess, which was a sort of tired trope, you know, um, crumbling under uh, some sort of religious uh, conviction. He's a guilty Catholic or something. It seems weird to me. That comic book apologist within me that struggles to find reasons for things that don't really warrant reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Finds nothing, right? (laughs) It it grabbed on to the idea of the chaplain was saying, like, no, I'm not going to tell because you're going to, because if you don't, I will. 
I imagine the chaplain had a gun. I, yeah, that works well. Too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I completely uh, disagree with what you just said. Really? I think what the chaplain was saying is exactly what Joshua was alluding to, and that is he said, you'll do the right thing. You know it's right, son, and you're either Christian upbringing or your conscience or something, you know you're not going to follow through and watch this man hang for this. It's too bad that the chaplain didn't show up when he was strangling the woman. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was saying, you'll do it. And he went, God, you're right. I'm not going to. I think that's what it was intended. Tim's trying to rescue it from the abyss. And it might be in the performance of like, yeah, I guess I will. It seemed rushed. Okay, we got to wrap this thing up. You're going to do the right thing. Ah, you're right. You got me. And, and it really, dun, it's too fast of a, of a conclusion. You're right. It's the rhythm that's off. The rhythm goes off when it, because it needs to drag out, but I'm sure it was a time thing. But here is how I rewrote the ending for them <laughs> that would have worked for me. Dear Mr. The Clock. Yes. <laughs> Dear Father Time. If he tells him I killed him and goes... And then the guy starts freaking out and going, oh, my God, oh, my God. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. And the chaplain walks in and says, I was right here. I heard it. Boom. You end it there. Boom. We're good. You know, like the chaplain walks in and goes, I murdered her, too. (laughs) (laughs) But do you see what I mean? Yes. It should have ended somehow with the reveal to the audience that the chaplain overheard the confession. Yes. We, yeah. do, we don't need to know no. whether what, the no, murderer was going to repent or anything. We were concerned about right. Mr. Williams. There's a aspect of the whole thing that stood out to me that I liked a lot, um, which was taking the stupid coincidence of the chaplain overhearing, the little justification, he'd asked him to come there. It was just weird that the confession would happen. Confession's the wrong word. Um, no, it's the right word. Just in, Anyways, <laughs> I'm going to go back to it. By normal narrative standards, a big coincidence that, oh, this guy confessed to doing the murder just as the chaplain's outside, but this story takes the whole aspect of coincidence and makes it kind of the point of the story. You're right. Um, With that introduction of chance and coincidence. Right. It's an engine of coincidence, and that's how everything happens in the whole story. Yeah. So that is a really nice touch. It's a nice touch of the unintentional confession in front of a... Chaplain is a great idea. It, I think it, it comes down to just that one line of "You're right, I will." Or I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, get rid of that it's line. Just, it just and it also sounded like, and we got to end it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the narrator, there were great moments of uh, of the writing of the narrator, and I love the line. We're going to watch him now be formally introduced to fear. Yeah. And knowing that it wasn't going to be an alien or something supernatural. He was going to be exposed to fear of reality, a real fear. Mm-hmm. You're going to be accused of a crime that you did not commit, and you're going to watch this small town turn on you. And that was really frightening. There was some nice poetic language in yeah. the intro, but I think it's at its most effective when it was simple like that. There's also at the very top uh, when he, uh, the narrator is setting the scene of the small town, and he says, and the time is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it just goes, and it's really simple and really nice. Tim, when you first listened to this, why did you want to put it on the podcast? I think if I had to pick one reason, it really is the tone of the writing. Some of the flourishes I quite liked because I liked the little clever flourishes, and I also liked the pared down, straightforward sort of plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have two complaints with it: small, little fusses. One actually is the narrator uh, towards the end where he makes the comment that he's been pretty rough on this character so far, hinting that things are going to get better for this character, which I, I, I had wished I would still worried for the character's fate. Aha, uh-huh. yes. Good point. 
Uh, and the other is I loved the Foley almost throughout, except for it seemed like there was a point when it, it was notably absent when he was changing the tire in the mud. Yeah. Presumably in the storm still, maybe? There was a great moment of Foley when he steps outside of the shop at the beginning. Yeah. And it's lightly raining. Mm-hmm. And you can hear the light rain hitting their jackets. And it's just so subtle and so beautiful and so n- well done. And it felt like we were standing outside in a sprinkle. <laughs> yep. And so, they had said, hailstorm is coming. So you're yeah. thinking, this is going to be uh, a Foley throw, fiesta. Throw some marbles on a garbage can <laughs> lid. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, I, and the mud was such an important theme or important yeah, yeah. plot point later that I just wanted to hear the splop, splop, splop. Yep. <laughs> Wait, was that Sean Connery making mud noises? Is <laughs> you are your mouth is a human foley machine. That was identical to what mud sounds like. Yes, thank you. Any other thoughts, gentlemen? I enjoyed this a lot, and it makes me want to binge, to use a modern term, on the clock. Oh, I can't wait to listen to more of these. Mm-hmm. And when you said eighty. Because you know, I didn't do any research. I just kind of sat down and started doing the podcast. When you said 80, I was uh, <laughs> I was really happy. That means we get to do more of these for the show. Oh, yeah. I don't know if all 80 still exist, but yeah. a lot do. Only four. <laughs> I hate when that happens in this old-time radio thing. Let's vote. I think it definitely stands the test of time. I wouldn't call it a classic, but I particularly love the atmosphere in the first 20 minutes. I just love listening or watching something where I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And and for the first 20 minutes or so, I was just like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Where is this going? But in the best of possible ways. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that almost exactly verbatim. It's just, it was such a perfect little thing to me of this friendly interaction in a drugstore, buying some newspapers for pennies, eight cents or whatever it was for <laughs> all the newspapers I can carry. Uh, and then just the, oh, and maybe a little detective thing for the wife and a little mention of the perfect murder and the perfect crime. Like, I'm hooked. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't say it's a classic because it is kind of an old trope. Falsely accused of a crime, confession of the real killer because it's the right thing. But I thought it was extremely well done. And I enjoyed uh, watch uh, watching it. In my head. I watched it in my head. <laughs> I enjoyed listening to it a lot. So I won't say classic, but stands the test of time for sure and would recommend it. And there you have it, right? Awesome. Hey, if you want to learn more about uh, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and the other things to do with Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, please go to ghoulishdelights.com. There you will find other episodes of this podcast, as well as updates about things that we do live, because we do live things in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. That is ghoulishdelights.com. Live things. Live things on stage. We do recreations of old-time radio shows. There's things I don't tell you about. It's not a peep show, listeners. Just to be clear. Live things. Here's my tarantula collection. I don't know why that's in my head. <laughs> to the My Three Sons theme. That's my tarantula show. Wait, Excellent. Wait. That is exactly what we're going to do. The listeners don't know this, but we have to write a show after this recording, and I think we just wrote it. You know, I was going to say go to iTunes and write a review, but maybe you should wait for the next episode. <laughs> but at some point, write a review on iTunes because we really appreciate it. Yes, do it because... Uh, uh, we need that. All right, uh, Joshua, what is next? Oh, next week we kick off a series of 
slightly Christmassy episodes, and I have chosen an episode of The Shadow called A Gift of Murder. Until then... I thought so. What is it? Blowout. Oh, for heaven's sake. I'm sorry. I don't like it any more than you do. It won't do my clothes any good to get down in this mud on my hands and knees, but it looks as if I'm elected. Well... I better get started. Splop, 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 spl